imagine this. John the Baptist is out there preaching the good word of God. The true, biblical, background, solid word of God. He's telling people, he's talking about the Old Testament, he's showing the people that the Messiah is on his way, he's saying that the kingdom of God is coming, the Messiah is coming, so we need to do two things. We need to change your heart on the inside, and you need to change your actions on the outside. And people were hearing the true message of the word of God and say, wow, you know what? I do need to do that. And so people's lives were getting changed legitimately based on the true, natural word of God. Then these jokers show up. These cats show up, they're Pharisees and Sadducees. Now to understand about the Pharisees and Sadducees, these are the church folk, but these are people of God. I'm using air quotes for those who can't see on the podcast. These are people who walk around and all they say is, God, 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 God. They say God is love, God is powerful, God is wonderful, God is sovereign, Jesus is king. They say things like this. They're loud, they project it. But when they show up to John, John doesn't look at them and say, oh my goodness, look at them. They're talking about God. Oh my goodness, look at them. They're proclaiming the doctrine. Oh my goodness, they're proclaiming the name of God. John looks at them and says, listen, who told you to show up here with the wrath of God is on its way, therefore, Produce fruit consistent with repentance. John said, I heard all this stuff you're talking. That means absolutely nothing. John says that there needs to be fruit consistent with repentance. Welcome to the Followers of the Way podcast for October 27, 2019. Today, Pastor Olu brings us a message called, In Order to Believe, Fruit Consistent with Repentance. Today we take a look as the Apostle John introduces Jesus' ministry. He starts with John the Baptist, whose purpose was to introduce the world to Jesus, the Christ. We see John's ministry of demanding a change in one's heart and a change in one's action in preparation for God's kingdom. So grab your Bible and follow along with us as we explore God's Word here on Followers of the Way. John chapter 1, in order to believe, we're back on that. The goal today is to get through chapter one of John. That's just an intended purpose. And we'll just leave it at that. See some people smiling extra. So we talked about John. We talked about the purpose of John. John told us in the verse that we, we quoted today was the purpose of the book of John is in order for us to believe. And that's the name of the series that we've been looking at in order to believe. John looked at the gospel message and he laid it out for us. And he told us, I probably don't have to write this anymore. I can actually see it here. When we talk about the gospel message, we have to talk about God. We have to talk about how he exists. We have to talk about God as creator and how creation was spoken by God. It was God's way, his established order, and the Bible said it was good. Then man came and he had an idea. I hear God's way. I hear what you say, God. I understand what you're saying, but I'm going to choose my own way. And that is what sin is. Sin is disorder. Sin is going against God's way. Sin is saying, my way is the way I want to follow. And so we have disorder because of sin. We have death because of sin. The Bible says because of sin into the world, all have sin, and death comes to all men because of all have sin. The Bible says in John chapter 3 that Jesus says that the wrath of God is upon you, you are condemned. And so condemnation comes with sin. And he said, because our deeds were evil. And so God exists. God created us. He created an order that was established. It was his way and it was good. Man came in and instituted disorder or distortion of what was good. It was a rebellion unto God. And that rebellion brought death. But John told us that because of that, even after that, Christ came. And we enter the light. And we saw how the light came. 
And the light came into darkness and darkness did not understand it. And the Bible tells us that that was the good news. That's what the gospel is. The good news that though we're in darkness, though we were we are condemned, though we are headed to death, though we are the masses of disorder, though our deeds are evil. And we're separated from God. God loved us so much because of his love. He came into our darkness. We looked at it a couple of weeks ago, how he dwelt with us. He pitched his tent with us. He came to our neighborhood, and in our neighborhood he came, and that's where he set up camp. And because of his love for us, we have now the opportunity for goodness. We have the opportunity now to realign ourselves up with what God's initial intent was. What we have to do is two things we talked about, believe and receive. Those are the two things that we must do. Believe that means I look at the facts of the gospel message. I look at the actions, what God did for me, and I believe in that. I take that, and I believe that. But it's more than just believe. You have to receive. And when you looked at that word receive, it was like got. I have to got it. That means that I don't merely agree with the intellectual facts about Jesus, but I'm welcoming him, and I'm submitting to him. Meaning I take my will, and I take my right to do what I want to do, and I take that off. And I take on Christ's will, and I take on what Christ wants me to do, and that's where I follow. And that's what salvation is. That's what the good news is. And the result of that is I go from a child of wrath and a child of disobedience and a child of the devil in order to a child of God. And with that comes restoration, which is also part of the gospel. The Bible says that he will transfer us to a new creature. The Bible says that there is a kingdom that God will bring and establish here on this earth as a fulfillment of what he did with the gospel message. And so John said, I wrote this book so that you may believe. And so the first part of John chapter one is pretty much doctrine. From one all the way to 18, he talks about doctrine. He's kind of sets the stage as a prelude. But once he gets into verse 19 on throughout the rest of the book, John goes from doctrine, kind of a doctrinal book, it still has doctrine, but it moves more to a narrative that those of you who are more familiar with movies and plays and stories and books, you understand that better than I do. It moves to a narrative where he begins to tell specific things that happen and use those as snapshots or as pictures of showing now that Christ is God. This word that he talked about, that Christ is God and showing what we need to know in order to believe. And so when we start at verse 19, this is where John goes. Verse 19, John chapter 1, verse 19. This was John's testimony when the Jews from Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him, who are you? Now, got two Johns here. You have John, the author of the book. He was one of Jesus' disciples. His brother's name was James, Okay. The John that John is referring to in verse 19 is John the Baptist. And so we have this guy that showed up, John the Baptist. And we talked about him earlier in verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John, John the Baptist. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. So in verse 19, we begin to talk about John the Baptist. And so for a little background on John the Baptist, hold your finger there. Turn back with me to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. There's really nothing before it but the Old Testament, so I usually try to go backwards, but it's Matthew. Matthew chapter 3. So, again, we're talking about the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. 
The Gospels all tell the same story. A lot of times they will have the same specific story, but they tell them from different points of view. Okay, so when we look at the scriptures, when we look at the gospel, we'll notice some similarities there. The story is still there. The events that actually happen, they're just told from different points of view. So in Matthew chapter 3, we're going to look at a little bit of John. Matthew chapter 3, verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, because the kingdom of heaven is near. For he is the one spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, talking about John the Baptist, who said, a voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make his paths straight. Now, John had a camel hair garment with leather, with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then people from Jerusalem, all Judea and all the vicinity of the Jordan were going out to him and they were baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. So there's this guy who's dressed in camel hair. Okay, that's how he was flossing. He had camel hair gear on. The Bible says he ate locusts and honey, wild honey, and he was out there and all the people from Jerusalem, Judea, and all the area used to come to him and they were getting baptized by him and confessing their sins in the Jordan River. So this John the Baptist, there was a mission that this John the Baptist had. You see that as Matthew points out by quoting the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one crying in the wilderness, preparing the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And so John the Baptist's purpose or his mission was to prepare the hearts of the people for the coming of the Messiah. The Messiah was coming. Jesus was coming. God was coming. The word was coming to earth. And God said, before I get there, I'm going to send this guy, John the Baptist, to prepare the way. How did he prepare the way? He prepared the way by doing two things. One, he called the people to repent, and then he baptized them. So how did John prepare the way for the Messiah coming? Two things, calling the people to repent and baptizing those who actually repented. I like when you look and it said in verse 2, it says repent. John the Baptist's statement was repent because the kingdom of God is coming near. We remember the kingdom of God in the book of Daniel. When we looked at Daniel and we looked at the prophecies of Daniel, God sent prophecies saying, hey, man has his kingdom. There's going to be the Babylonians that are going to come. There's going to be the Medes and the Persians that are going to come. Then the Greeks are going to come. Then the Romans are going to come. And these men are going to have their ideas and their societies and their politics and their way. But God is going to bring his kingdom in the end. And his kingdom will trump all those other kingdoms and destroy all those other kingdoms. You see that in with Nebuchadnezzar. You see that with the statue. You see that Daniel chapters 8, 9, 10, and 11 with all the beasts and everything that was going on. The idea that God's kingdom was coming. What is God's kingdom? God's kingdom is where his will and his way and what he wants rules. And the Bible says that God's kingdom was coming to earth and John the Baptist's message was repent because God's kingdom is near. And he did that by calling the people to repent and calling them to be baptized. It's interesting when you look at that. In the Old Testament, whenever you would see that God was coming or there was something that God was going to do, God would tell his prophets to tell the people to consecrate themselves. And what that meant was it involves two things. It involves cleaning yourself up. And it involves setting yourself apart. Two things. And so when there was consecration, there was cleaning yourself up. That means that that was repentance. That's what repent means. Repent means that I'm making a change of mind. I've done something. I've sinned. 
I am a sinner and I'm going to change my mindset. It's a change of heart. It's a change of who I am. Repentance. The setting yourself apart. This is actually setting yourself apart from sin. And that's what the baptismal was, because what it does in water baptism, it allows you to set yourself apart. It says, hey, I want the world to know. That's why we had the baptismal service. So I want the world to know that I have made a change. I have made a change of my heart. I have a change of my mind. I have made a change of my being that I am no longer going to follow disorder. I'm no longer headed toward death. I'm no longer under the condemnation of the wrath of God. I'm no longer a child of the evil, the child of the devil, the child of this world. But I am going to make a change of heart a change of mind, I'm going this way, I'm going to now go this way and believe and receive and be a follower of Christ. And when that happens, then I set myself apart from that by water baptism. It's saying, hey, you know those group of people over there who is doing this? I'm different. I'm peculiar. I'm outside and I'm letting the world know. That's what consecration is. And when we look in our Christian lives, this isn't just a one-time thing. Now, the repentance, yes, for salvation is. The water baptism, yes, the Bible says you got to get baptized seven, eight, nine, ten times. But the idea of repenting, John said, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, said, if you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. As we sin, we need to go to Christ immediately and repent of that sin. But we also need to make sure it's more than just this. It is also setting myself apart from that sin. There is a sin. This is what I do. This is what I get caught up in. I need to make a conscious decision as a follower of Christ that I am going to separate myself from that. That's what it means to be to consecrate oneself. I'm not going to be attached to that sin. See, sometimes we, oh, man, I'm jacked up again. And we stay right there. We look, I've been saved for 40, 50 years, or I've been in the church for all this time. And you know what? That sin always get me. I'm always, I can't, I, it's like, I, it's, that's just who I am. And I'm still working on it, but you've been working on it for 40 years. That's the issue there. Because consecration involves not only repentance, not only just feeling sorry for the sin I did, not only just, oh, I shouldn't have done that, but it involves saying, and now, because I've repented, I'm now going to detach myself from that. Sometimes there's people. I have to now detach myself from that group of people because that group of people is following that section there, and I'm on a new thing. Sometimes it's detaching myself from this genre of things because, you know what? I'm not strong enough to handle this. I can't continue to be in this area, listen to this music, or watch this stuff on TV, or, or go to that place where they go, or be in this area where they are, because if I'm in that area, I'm close to it, and sometimes it pulls me back into that. And so because I have consecrated myself, because I am heading toward the kingdom of heaven, after I made that change in my life, I then separate myself from that, and I don't go back. This is what John was doing. He said, hey, the kingdom of God is coming. And because of that, y'all are stuck in here. We need to get to here. And his responsibility was to prepare the way. And so his mission was to tell the people to repent and then to be baptized. As Christians today, we need to repent. We need to have a change of heart toward those things that go against what Christ tells us. And we also have to continually and constantly make sure that we are separated ourselves from sin. What this does is the cleaning is a change of heart. And by heart, I mean the real you, that inner part of you. 
Not the muscle that pumps blood. But it's you, the part that loves, the part that thinks. That's, that's who you are. The change of heart, the setting apart from sin has to do with a change of actions. There needs to be a literal, specific, and clearly noticed change in the actions of someone who is now free from sin and bondage and has now entered the light. If there is no change, then there is no entering of the light. It's that simple. That's Bible. A person cannot be in the light. A person cannot be a follower of Christ and still be caught up in a continual, habitual attitude of sin. Can't happen. There has to be a change in action. It's not an overnight change. It's not a magic. Kaboom! And now I'm free from all sin. No. That's what sanctification is. Sanctification is now I've made the decision to change, and now I'm in the process of separating myself from that. But if there is no change of actions, then I would question if there was a change of heart. John said, I've come to tell you to repent because the kingdom of God is at hand. As Christians, as followers of Christ, I need to make sure that there's a change both in my heart, how I think, how I respond to things, and also a change in my actions. Others should see, wow, you're different, Olu. Oh, wow, Olu, you don't act like I act. Oh, Olu, you don't respond like I respond. Oh, Olu, you don't do what I do. What? They said what to you? And you, you didn't do what? That's weird. That's strange. Because the normal response is boom, 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 boom. The Bible says that, as believers, this is where it should be. And so John came, back to Matthew chapter 3, the kingdom of God is coming. And the Bible says that people came and they began to show up and they were baptized with him, confessing their sins. And so as he was preparing the way for the Messiah, people were repenting, confessing, and people were being baptized, setting themselves apart. My responsibility, John said, his responsibility was to prepare the way for Christ. That is also our responsibility. Our responsibility is to spur people along. You know, I say spur a lot. Y'all know what spurs are, right? Cowboys. Yeah, those things they put, those spikes on the back of the shoes. They use them because they're on a horse, and if, want, if they want the horse to go faster, they stick them spikes into the horse's side. And it's just like, <laughs> faster, to spur somebody along. I need a better word. Surely I don't like that word. I need a better word. <laughs> Heavily encourage with metal spikes. We'll do that one. <laughs> All right? Our responsibility is to lead people to Christ and to let them know that, hey, you need to change on the inside that needs to be seen on the change on the outside. Because if you continue down this path, death is your only end. And so back to Matthew chapter 3, John continued, verse 7, when he, talking about John the Baptist, saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, bride of vipers, you snakes. Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Therefore, produce fruit consistent with repentance. And don't presume to say to yourselves, well, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that God is able to raise up children for Abraham from these stones. The axe is already at the root of the tree. Therefore, every tree that doesn't produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but one who is coming after me is more powerful than I. I'm not worthy to remove his sandals. He himself will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing shovel is in his hand and he will gather the wheat into the barns, but the chaff he will burn with fire that never goes out. 
This is crazy what's happening right now. Imagine this. John the Baptist is out there preaching the good word of God, the true biblical background, solid word of God. He's telling people, he's talking about the Old Testament. He's showing the people that the Messiah is on his way. He's saying that the kingdom of God is coming, the Messiah is coming. So we need to do two things. We need to change your heart on the inside and you need to change your actions on the outside. And people were hearing the true message of the word of God and say, wow, you know what? I do need to do that. And so people's lives were getting changed legitimately based on the true, natural word of God. Then these jokers show up. These cats show up. They're Pharisees and Sadducees. Now, to understand about the Pharisees and Sadducees, this is what you got to remember. These are the church folk. Well, these are people of God. I'm using air quotes for those who can't see on the podcast. These are people who walk around and all they say is God, 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 God. They say God is love, God is powerful, God is wonderful, God is sovereign, Jesus is king. They say things like this. They're loud. They project it. But inside, their inside does not match what their outside is saying. And so they'll walk around talking about the Messiah. They'll walk around saying God is this, God is this. They're constantly proclaiming the name of the Lord. They're talking some doctrine stuff. They're quoting scripture. They're talking about the Messiah's coming. They're doing all these things. But when they show up to John, John doesn't look at them and say, oh, my goodness, look at them. They're talking about God. Oh, my goodness, look at them. They're proclaiming the doctrine. Oh, my goodness, they're proclaiming the name of God. John looks at them and said, listen, who told you to show up here with the wrath of God is on its way? Therefore, produce fruit consistent with repentance. John said, I heard all this stuff you're talking. But that means absolutely nothing. John says that there needs to be fruit consistent with repentance. John, when they showed up, John immediately, his first response was fruit check. That was his first response. His first response wasn't, oh my goodness, they're talking about God. Oh my goodness, look at how many people they're reaching. They're reaching so many people talking about God. People are hearing about the name of the God more than ever. John said, nah, later for that, fruit check. John looked at the situation and he says that the production of fruit was much more important than someone's words or someone's immediate actions. So John said, let's look at their fruit. I'm going to write that. Production of fruit, much more important than words or immediate actions. And the reason I say that is because what is fruit? When the Bible talks about fruit, it's talking about this thing here, the actions, what you produce. We take a, a seed, we put it in the ground, it grows a tree. First off, it takes time for that tree to grow. Once that tree grows, then all of a sudden you see little buds. Then that buds begin to grow and grow and grow and grow. And after a certain amount of time, years actually, you get fruit. And if I put an orange tree in the ground, I get oranges. If I put a banana tree in the ground, I get bananas. If I put an apple tree in the ground, I get apples. The fruit, the result of who you are does something. It produces something. It produces actions. And so what John said was, I hear you talking about God this, God that. I hear you proclaim in the name that God is this and God is wonderful and God is powerful. John said what's much more important is forget what you say. I want to see your fruit. The production of fruit. We know that good fruit takes time. It takes time for good fruit to grow. I don't just take a seed, put it in the ground, all of a sudden I'm eating bananas. It takes time. It takes patience. And so I wait. I watch the tree. 
I make sure that the tree is doing what it's supposed to do. Why? Because John said it's important to show, therefore, produce fruit consistent with repentance. I like that word, consistent with repentance. Because when there is repentance, there is fruit. When there is repentance, there is some actions change. And John told those guys that showed up while he was preaching the gospel, while he was telling about to repent, people were getting baptized, people were getting changed. They show up, the God group shows up, and John says, you better start showing some fruit that's consistent with the words that's coming out of your mouth. The production of the fruit, not only does it take time, but it withstands the axe, the fan, and the fire. John comes along and he tells them in verse 10, the axe is already at the root of the tree. John tells them that the winnowing, the winnowing shovel or the fan is coming. So what, what's happening here is in the Bible days, when you talk about growing things and fruit and, and wheat, what they would do is they would go out to the field, the wheat would grow, they would take the wheat or the tree or whatever, and they would chop it down, boom. And after they chop it down, they'll take everything they chopped down and they'll throw it in this place and they'll start with this shovel or this wind and they start fanning the stuff and the shoveling stuff out. And what would happen, they would take the winnowing shovel and they'll shuck it up. The wind would blow and the wind would blow all of the waste away, all of that nothingness away, all of that emptiness away. All right. And then what would fall back down is the real fruit. If it was weed, it was whatever it was, the real fruit would fall down. And then what they would do, they would take that shaft that the wind blows away, that stuff that's no good, the stuff that you can't use, the stuff that's a waste, and they would take that and burn it because it was no good. And I'd be left with the good fruit. What John said is that the Messiah is coming, and the Messiah is coming with an axe, he's coming with a winnowing fan, and he's coming with the fire. And what he's going to do, he's going to go out to you and to your works, your actions, and he's going to chop them down. And then he's going to throw your actions up in the air and let the wind hit it. And everything that's true that's going to fall back down, he's going to keep. And all that waste and empty air and nothingness, all those things that you do that do not align and not consistent with good fruit, not consistent with confession, he's going to burn it in the fire. John said, hey, the kingdom is coming. And it ain't a joke. And when Messiah comes, he's coming with some woo-ness about him. Be ready. What happened here, and this is what he was talking as he's talking to those Pharisees that came. I want to say this. This is not a slight on anyone. This isn't a slight on Kanye. Okay? This isn't a let's go after Kanye. It's not about Kanye. It's about followers of Christ. The problem, and John pointed out, the problem is that we, as followers of Christ, we are more, and I say we, it's more the general we, not everyone. But it seems that we are more consistent and more excited about one thing and willing to give up our backbone on the word of God. The Bible says, as followers of Christ, you demand fruit immediately. Immediately. You shouldn't judge. Yes, you should. Bible says judge. The Bible sworn said be careful when you judge, because when you judge, somebody's going to come back and judge back on you. So make sure your stuff straight before you start judging. So let's, let's get out of that. But the idea is that as followers of Christ, we need to have that biblical background that we demand fruit immediately, because it's not a slight on the person. Snoop put an album, gospel album out, everybody go crazy. Oh my goodness, Snoop got a gospel album. Thank God, the word of God is now going out thanks to Snoop. Justin Bieber 
Says, oh, I'm a Christian now. I like Hillsong. Oh, my goodness. Believe his testimony. Justin Bieber. Imagine the impact he's going to have on the world for Christ. Steve Harvey show up on TBN and we lose our mind. Oh, my goodness. Steve Harvey. He tried. He on TBN. He hosting the show. Selena Gomez took a video of herself singing a, a Hillsong song and we done with it. Oh, my goodness. Selena. Oh, praise God. Selena. Again, it's not a slight on this people. I'm talking about us as the body of Christ. Because what that does in our own lives, what happens is we need to demand fruit first in the lives of others, but in our own lives. And what happens is that it's easy for me to give credence to a Kanye or a Selena or a Justin because it's like, hey, listen, Nola, you don't know their hearts. True. They, they, they could definitely be. And at least God's name is going out. And at least the gospel is going on. Think of all the things that it could reach out. That's our first response instead of the biblical response is, praise God, let's see some fruit. Because what that does, it eases it up on me. See, it ain't about Kanye or Selena. It's about me. If I can look at that and say, well, look at him. He's talking about God. That's good, right? That's, that's great. See, that's, that's good. He's cool. And now I'm cool because, I mean, he's talking about God, but I go to church. So that means I'm even better. I, 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 I must be okay. I'm really okay. The idea is I'm supposed to demand fruit not only in Ye and Justin Bieber, but I'm supposed to demand fruit in my life. And it's easy for me to look over there and say, well, you know, I don't got to wait for the fruit because at least God's name is going forth because in my life I ain't really doing too much fruit either. But I talk about God. I go to church. You know, I don't curse all the time. And so the credence has been placed instead of internally demanding fruit for myself, immediately look at myself and saying, hey, what are my actions doing? Are my actions lined up with my heart? Are my actions lined up with what John said? John said, therefore, produce fruit consistent with repentance. I claim to be saved. I claim to be a follower of Christ. Does my fruit line up consistent with that? Am I out preparing the way for Christ like John the Baptist was? Am I out there telling people audibly with my voice, with energy, hey, you got to repent and you got to change because the kingdom of God is coming. And if you don't line up with him, you're going to end up dead and separate him forever and ever. Amen. What are my fruits? Do people look at me and immediately think, John the Baptist, Paul, Olu, bam. Because of his fruits, because of how he is for ourselves. See, that's what the question is. It's not about the Pharisees and John the Baptist trying to make himself look better in front of the Pharisees. John the Baptist says that we need to produce fruit consistent with repentance. What I've seen in Christianity is that we have this soft serve, sympathetic Christianity. It's, it's soft serve. It's at least he said. And it's like if I can attach some sort of merit to that, then I'm good. See, I can be this way. Well, I'm trying. Well, don't judge me. Don't judge Kanye. And by the way, don't judge me. Well, at least he's trying. He's doing this. And guess what? I 
I'm trying. Sure, you don't see no fruit. Sure, it's not blatantly obvious that I'm out here on the front lines for Christ, that every word about my mouth isn't about Jesus and God, that you can look at my life and see how I'm separated. Sure, it isn't obvious, but it's okay because at least I'm trying like Kanye. At least he's saying God like I'm saying God sometimes. At least he's praying like I pray. So give us all a break because we all out here just trying. No, followers of Christ, our standards are way more. And by the way, as followers of Christ, we need to be very careful with the statement, if such and such comes to Christ, think how powerful that will be because of the impact and reach the gospel message would have. We got to be careful with that. The potency and the power of the gospel message is in the potency and power of the gospel message. That's where it is. The gospel message does not benefit from Kanye West at all. Zero. Milch. Understand that. The gospel message does not benefit. Because if I say the gospel message benefits from somebody, that's saying that the gospel message is here. But if Olu or if Kanye or if Trump or if whoever, then oh my goodness, the gospel message. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Wait a minute. Oh. And that's what I mean. Again, this isn't a slight against Kanye. The idea is our mindsets as followers of Christ. If we are thinking that, oh, if Kanye West brought the gospel, think of how many people are hearing the gospel message now. The impact of the gospel will be so much greater. No, it will not, because the gospel message does not need the impact of someone's reputation or the impact of the celebrity of someone or the impact of the reach of someone or how many followers they have. The gospel message does not need that, because the gospel message, the Bible says, Paul said in Romans, for it is the power of God. The gospel message in and of itself is in and of itself the power. And as Padilla says, we, our responsibility is let the lion out the bag. Let the lion out the cage. Our responsibility is to tell. God has commissioned all his followers and he's told everybody, listen, go out there and tell them about the axe. Tell them about the fan. Tell them about the fire. Go out there and tell them about me. Tell them what I did. Tell them what they did and tell them they better line up. He's already given us that to go do that. And what we have is the fullness of the power of the gospel message to tell. That's what goes out. And I don't God doesn't need X, Y, Z person. God has us and he has given us the power of the message. And so, oh, it'll help. No, it'll help if such and such did this. Oh, it helps. it. No, it doesn't help because the gospel message needs no help. That's the mindset that I'm talking about as far as the general body of Christ. Gospel message don't need no help. If I was this person, then I could tell. Or if I knew as much as Ravi Zacharias was, then I would be so powerful for Christ. Or if I knew the Bible like Omar does, I'd be so amazing for Christ. Oh, if I had a, such and such followers on Instagram, I could spread. No, 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 no. Once I change my heart and change my actions, once I become, leave a children of the devil and become a child of God, he has given me the gospel. That's the power. That's all the power. And it's my responsibility now just to open my mouth as John did and say, you need to repent. Well, I need a cool way to say it. No, you don't. Say it. Well, I need to make sure that the atmosphere is right. No, it don't. Say it. Well, I need to make sure I develop a relationship with that person first. And then, like, no, you don't. Say it. Well, I want to make sure that I, I don't want to look weird because they going to think this guy always talking about God. Say it. You're already weird. Remember? You stepped away. You set apart. You stepped, up, you stepped away from that, right? That's what you did, right? You set apart. You set yourself apart from that. So you already should be weird. And so now my responsibility is to do that, to tell. Let the lion out the cage. 
I pray that Kanye is saved. I hope so. But I'm going to wait. Because fruit takes time. As a matter of fact, I'm not even going to wait. I'm not going to even focus on that. Let Kanye do what Kanye do. I got to do what Ulu got to do. What he going through, that's, that's him. He's a musical genius. He's going to continue to make good music. He's going to make it. But I'm not going to say, that, well, let's wait and see what Kanye does first because I need to make sure his fruit. No, 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 no. That's not that's the point of what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that Christians need to get up off our buttocks and go and do and not wait for or look at or depend on or applaud when we're sitting idle doing nothing and watching from the sideline. Oh, my goodness. Look at that. Jesus is king. Every song is talking about Jesus. It's amazing. Everybody's hearing about Jesus. Who you done told? Oh, I ain't told nobody. But I'm talking about Kanye on Facebook. Oh, my goodness. Thank God that finally Jesus' name is going out. It's going to be amazing. Go out there and tell somebody about Jesus. Let's do our responsibility what Christ asked us to. The Bible says that some Pharisees actually got saved, some priests actually got saved, some Sadducees actually got saved, and they became powerful for God. And so if God saved Kanye, and if Kanye gets some good discipleship, and Kanye goes and produces fruit, praise God. He's one more to the fold. He's one more to who we are. He's one more to do what we are supposed to do, what we are supposed to do. The point is, don't depend on somebody else. Don't sit from the sidelines and look at, oh... Get in the game. That's the whole point. Get in the game. In Matthew chapter 3, John then goes on and the story goes on how that Jesus showed up and Jesus came to get baptized. And John says, why am I going to baptize you? John knew, recognized who he was. And he said, uh, I shouldn't be baptizing you. You should be baptizing me. And then he went on and God, Jesus told him, nope. I'm doing this in obedience. And so he baptized him. And the Bible says that the dove came down back to John chapter one. And so when we get to John 119, this has already happened. OK, what we read in Matthew chapter three had already happened. And so John, the gospel, picks up verse 19 right after that. So John's testimony, verse 19, when the Jews from Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He didn't deny, but he confessed, I am not the Messiah. Who are you then? Are you Elijah? No. Are you a prophet? No. Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent. And he said, he repeated himself again. I am the voice of one crying out to the wilderness, making straight the way of the Lord, just as Isaiah the prophet said. Now, they had been sent from the Pharisees, so they asked him, why then do you baptize if you aren't the Messiah or Elijah or the prophet? I baptize with water, John said. Someone stands among you, but you do not know him. He is one coming after me whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to untie. All this happened in Bethany across from Jordan where John was baptizing. So Bible scholars say that as John was saying this, Jesus was actually there. The tradition is that Jesus was actually standing there in the crowd when they were asking him this. And that's why he says, there's somebody standing among you who you don't know, but he is more powerful than I. A couple of things there. When you look in the Old Testament, there were prophecies that somebody was coming. They said there was a prophet that was going to become Moses talked about. There's a prophet like Moses that coming. They said there was a prophet as Elijah, like Elijah was going to come back. And there was a Messiah. And so they looked at this guy and said, he's out here talking about changing your heart and uh, getting baptized. Are you the prophet that Moses was talking about? Are you Elijah coming back or are you the Messiah? He said, no, I'm neither one of them. I'm here to prepare the way for him. And I like when he said the one that's coming, his sandal strap, I'm not worthy to untie. In, in, in the biblical days back then, what was happened was when you would come to somebody's house, and we talked about this before, they wore sandals. It was dust and dirt everywhere and sand. And when they got to someone's house, they would, the, the, the lowest person of the house, the lowest slave would come and untie the people's sandals. And then they would wash their feet. 
And what John the Baptist says, let me tell you, the one who's coming, sure, I'm out here baptizing with water. Sure, I'm out here telling people you need to repent and change your heart. Sure, I'm out here telling people to change your action. But the one who's coming, if you compare him to me, I'm not even worthy to be the lowest slave in the house, the lowest servant in the house, to untie his sandals and wash his feet. Because the one who's coming is God himself. As a matter of fact, he's standing right here in this crowd. And then he goes on in verse 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming and he said, here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I told you about. After me comes a man who's ahead of me because he existed before me. I didn't know him, but I came baptized with water so that he might be revealed to Israel. And John testified, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he rested on him. I didn't know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water told me, the one you see the Spirit descending and resting on, he is the one who baptized with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. John said that the one who's coming, though I'm baptizing with water, John said the one who's coming, he's going to baptize with the Holy Spirit. The significance of that, what does baptism mean? Again, baptism means set apart, means I'm here in my sin, and I'm going to make a conscious decision to separate myself from that sin. The Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, not only does it separate the sin, but it, it empowers us to stay away. That's the difference. Water just gets you wet. It's so simple. It lets everybody know I've made that decision. But when we're baptized by the Holy Spirit, not only does it separate us, but it gives us the power to stay away if we yield ourselves to that power. That's why John said, I'm baptizing you with water. I'm telling you, don't do that, don't do this. But when Christ comes, he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And that will give us the power to transform our life and also give us the power to be vocal and audible to tell people what they need to do in order to believe. Father, we thank you, God, for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We thank you, God, how the Holy Spirit, with the all power of the fullness of the Godhead, has the power to separate us from sin, to set us apart as followers of you, to set us, set us apart as your child, but then to give us the power and the energy and the enablement to live a victorious, sin-free, godly life, totally separated from sin, aligned up with you to tell the world about your kingdom. I pray, God, that everyone in the sound of my voice, including myself, God, that we will be vocal in letting the lion out of the cage. That we won't depend on others, God, to tell this good, powerful message, but that we, as the body of Christ, will be on the forefront with those around us, those we come in contact with, and those abroad, to let them know of the goodness of your word how that you are God, how that you exist, how that you created us, how you created everything good in your order, how man messed that order up and therefore was separated from you, but how you entered this world and tabernacle among us. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And God, if we believe and receive, we can become your child. Pray God that we will apply this to our lives, God, and that throughout the rest of this week, God, that we will be vocal telling people about you. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Followers of the Way podcast. If you like more information about Followers of the Way Church, visit our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash FOTW Church. 
Again, that's www.facebook.com forward slash FOTW Church. We trust and hope that you've enjoyed hearing God's word and how to apply it to our lives. Our podcast is updated weekly, so remember to follow us here at Followers of the Way.